Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Our Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given to us. We thank you that we uh, gather on the Lord's Day. We celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that we've been raised with him and we're one with him. And we thank you for your word that you've given us. And we pray now as we read it and study it that you would bring life to our hearts, that your word would find fertile soil there, that it would bear fruit in our hearts. So thank you for each person that's here. I pray you would encourage, encourage, exhort, whatever we each need. We look to you uh, to care for us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my goal today is to cover chapter 2. Um, I was looking at the schedule. My goal is to, is to finish Ecclesiastes before Christmas, which takes about a chapter a week to do that. And, we're in four weeks, and we've just done one chapter. So that's not a good, that's not a good uh, trajectory. But I think we're ready to roll pretty good here. So uh, I'm looking forward to working through uh, chapter two. Um, so we're going to walk through it pretty readily. The first, the first bit of it, because the last three verses are the ones I really want us to. Or they're the ones I don't want us to miss. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward to getting, getting there. Well, if you remember. Um, in chapter 1, we find the question that, that uh, guides the, the program of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, verse, verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And so in chapter 1, uh, the preacher, Solomon, looked at, at the creation to begin to get some insight in that. And he wasn't very encouraged by it. One, uh, just the repetitiveness of creation seems like life is boring and it never goes anywhere and then um, even though creation uh, is, uh, is a permanent fixture uh, we are not we're we are uh, stick figures on the canvas and we walk across the canvas and we're gone not only are we gone but we're we're forgotten about so now beginning in verse uh, 12 we looked at 12 through uh, 18 last week he begins now to say, I've got another way to try to answer this question. The, the question is, uh, is there any gain? Is there anything to the, to the work that we do? He says, so I'm going to answer it now by making my own investigation. So that's where we come to uh, chapter 2. Um, so so uh, Solomon as the king... Uh, we'll read verses one through one through eight in a moment, but he literally lets no holds barred. He tells to his to his uh, heart. He said, "I'm going to give you everything you want, and we're going to find out if there's any meaning to all that to all that doing." Um, so let's. I just want to read it, read it for us, and then we'll we'll see what he has to say there. So in Ecclesiastes two, beginning verse one, I said in my heart. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, 
my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under, under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought, excuse me, male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been in Jerusalem uh, before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got both singers, both men and women, and many concubines the delight of the sons of man. Well, this is described in, this, in the first Kings chapters three through 11, we see Solomon has all these building projects, including the, the temple, but uh, here the reference is to, to all of his, his houses and plants and trees and a collection of gold and everything. You may have noticed here that uh, the Lord said in Deuteronomy, uh, when you bring to yourself a king, here's three things I want to be sure he doesn't do. One is uh, gather many horses from Egypt, one is have many wives, and then to uh, bring to himself excessive silver and gold. And Solomon did a home run on all three, of, all three of those things. He did exactly the opposite of what God, or he did exactly what God said not, uh, not to do. Um, I think it's, well, it's not interesting. I think it's helpful to us to see uh, the last thing he mentions in verse Eight, it seemed like this kind of becomes a, a progression. And at the end of verse 8, he says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And if you, we've looked at it a time or two, if you can think about uh, what happens in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, that is the, the first part of that chapter is the, is the recounting of uh, the foreign women that... Uh, that Solomon married and how they literally took his heart away and he began to worship their God. So it was a, it's a, a, an accounting of his apostasy. But I want you to notice something that uh, I think is helpful to us to see and that is at the end of verse 8 he said, and I had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. That was his, that was his last thing. He said, I've tried everything and now, uh, now I can have all of the uh, sexual trist and, and experiences that I want to. And you know the story had well, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Um, but it's interesting if you may look in your in your text, the word concubine uh, in the ESV it says the Hebrew is unsure here. And I, I'm not a Hebrew guy but I thought I was, that's interesting. What does this mean? There's a very clear Hebrew word for concubine, and that's not the word that's used here. Um, the, the Hebrew here is just unusual, but it very clearly refers to, to uh, uh, sexual relations. And you can see there in the ESV, had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I'd like to just give you just a couple of thoughts about about uh, uh, 
sexual sin and idolatry. That the Bible infuses and merges them uh, together. You can think sometimes, uh, well, for example, the book of Hosea, uh, idolatry and spiritual apostasy is spoken of in terms of adultery, of, of, of uh, sexual impurity. Um, even in the New Testament, we find this really clear. You think about what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was a city known for its ritual prostitution and its paganism, and apparently some of the members of the church there were still involved in, in those things, and we won't look at it. I just want to kind of plant this thought in your mind that that Paul says in, in chapter 6, he, he just talks unusual about sexual sin, that, that there is not only a physical dimension to sexual sin, well, there's not only a physical dimension to, to sexual relations, there's a spiritual dimension to it also. And so he, he says there in, in chapter 6, he says, um, you can't join, remember, you're, you're, you're joined with Christ, speaking, of course, on a spiritual plane, and so don't go join your body with a, uh, with a prostitute because you're, you're joining Christ with a prostitute. And so um, it's just interesting how he ties all those, all those things together. Um, but I just want to give you that thought as, I think, as we think about what happened to Solomon, that sexual immorality leads to idolatry, and I think it's a cyclical thing. Idolatry can lead to sexual immorality, so they're they're together in that. And I hope that's just a a warning to us, because like like the city of Corinth, we we obviously live in a hypersexualized uh, culture, and uh, and any step toward toward sexual sin really is a step toward uh, idolatry, and any step toward idolatry can leave us open. Uh, to the temptation of sexual sin because somehow they're intertwined, uh, interfused together. Anybody have a thought about about that you'd like to give us before we move on? Well, just keep it in your in your mind. Think about your children and you know all of us and the, the temptations that we can have. Well. Um, so I just made a note there. I have a, a uh, oh, well, the other thing is, uh, interestingly, the, the words in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 8 also occur in Genesis 1 and 2. You can see that to plant, garden, all kinds of fruit trees, irrigate, sprout, and grow, to do or to make. So that here again, we see in the wisdom literature, we see a connection to the, uh, to the creation. But my question, and this defines, this describes a lot of what, um, uh, what Solomon was doing and the things that he did, uh, the creation mandate. So my question for you is, uh, is what we see here, is this Solomon's uh, commitment to fulfill the creation mandate or is it something else? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's, I think that's right. Uh, Aaron, it's something else. It's... it's uh, uh, I think it becomes clear here. This is not Solomon trying to fulfill what God has said about um, you know our responsibility in, in the world as as His uh, image bearers to oversee the creation. 
This is, this is Solomon seeking to recreate a perfect Eden for himself. I mean, he's the king. He's the most, he's supposedly the wisest king and the, and the richest king with all the resources. So if anybody could do it, uh, he could do it. But um, of course we find out that that doesn't, uh, that that doesn't work. Well, again, this is consumerism, uh, the quest for pleasure and satisfaction through possessions and experience. And so Saul is inviting, Solomon is inviting us to join him in this, in this quest. He's trying, uh, trying this out. Um, and as uh, Doug Wilson says, he wants us to feel the strength of the tether that he thought he could go do anything he wanted to, but he's, he's learning that, no, there's a tether hooked to me, and I can only go so far. And he'll, he'll make that clear in just a few minutes. Well, am I still hot, hot enough? Okay, good. So verses 9 through 11 are his conclusion at the end, or one of his conclusions at the end of, his, uh, of this uh, pursuit. So I'll read verses 9 through 11 uh, for us. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So what is it? By verses 9 and 10, he said, boy, it was great. He said, my heart found pleasure in, um, um, in this pursuit of, of pleasure with all the things that I did. But then verse 11, he says, when I thought about it, I saw something different. So... Is it true you can have pleasure in the pursuit of, and have happiness in the pursuit of pleasure? Well, obviously, isn't it? I, that's why it's, that's why sometimes it's, uh, it's tempting uh, to us. Uh, so there is pleasure in sin for a season, isn't there? Remember, what, what, what did the writer of Hebrews say about, about, um, um, Moses, that he uh, treats, remember that passage, he, uh, he forsook the, the passing pleasures of sin. Yeah, the passing pleasures of sin uh, to bear uh, mistreatment with the people of God. The, of course, that just means uh, temporary. It means it's, it literally means uh, for a time, uh, just, just for a season. And that's what, that is what uh, Solomon is beginning to understand. You can have pleasure as an empty in itself, but not very long. See, look what he says there. Then I considered all that my hand. So he, while he was inside the search, he found the pleasure. But when he got out, when he got, when he was through with pursuing that particular pleasure, whatever it may have been, building a big house or, or. Uh, sexual relations with a concubine or whatever. As long as he was in it, in it, he felt some rush of pleasure. But now, when he comes out of it, he looks back at it, and here's his opinion. Verse 11, And I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. 
so he, he looking back at it now he says and behold all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing good to be gained under the sun so notice these words that he's using he's, he piles them all together now I don't think he's put these three together before um, it was vanity or that is that that mist that you know, that fleeting kind of uh, look at things the morning mist it was striving after the wind that's like a whiff of smoke that he tried to get his hands around but he couldn't do it and there was nothing gained under the sun that is there was nothing left over this is the word this is an economic word for profit once I invested everything to give pleasure I got a little bit but then that was it it, do, it doesn't I, what do you think he means by that there's no there's no lasting you always want more okay you have to have more don't you because it's not satisfying I remember when I was a kid when they used to still let, let companies do uh, uh, ads for cigarettes that I remember it was Lucky Strike on a billboard and it said uh, it said satisfies and somebody wrote on there that said well why do you need 20 of them in a package if they, if they satisfy <laughs> uh, but you think about your own life think about a vacation or things that aren't, aren't bad in themselves a good meal or whatever it may be and think about the joy that you have for a few minutes but then it's gone and you can't you can't uh, you can't you don't have a bank account where you put your joy and go get more of it because you've stored it up that's that's really one of the major points of this book is that yes there can be joy and, and happiness in experiences uh, but but and he's going to show us how to how to enjoy that joy the right way. But but he's saying you can't store it up. He built all these things, and once it got done, uh, there was no more joy in that in that particular uh, situation. I think about our little guy uh, Sawyer, where he loves to anticipate events like going to the park or going to Granny's house, and and he just, his expectations just go through the roof. And I want to say Sawyer tamp it down a little bit buddy it's not going to be quite as great and he wants it to be good so badly uh, you know it's kind of like when you spend several thousand dollars on a vacation man this has got to be good and then uh, we deal with the reality of it and after three or four days we're ready to come home you know and, and get back to the uh, so-called the real life but so he's beginning to grasp something here and that is that um, that the happiness and the joy that can come uh, by pursuing it uh, can be real for a few moments but after you get back and look at it you say that's like grasping the wind it's just like a wisp and it's and it's gone well and um, yeah adding to that yeah one thing that he added what he's talking about is all that stuff falls within the constraints of time that is created by god so obviously anything that's within a time frame is only going to have a moment of pleasure whereas the only thing that has an eternal pleasure would be that relationship with Christ so it's going to go on forever because that's outside of the time yeah, that was okay. created by God in the first place good yeah he, he doesn't really deal with eternity here he's when he see when in, in this pursuit where he is death is the it's the big period at the end and nothing else comes after that and he's going to show us that in just a just a moment but even though we mark as you say we know that that we can find eternal joy um, in christ 
he's even still going to give us some ideas of how we can find joy in the, in the, uh, the mundane vanity of life, eating meals and changing diapers and going to school and you know whatever else may just be going on. He's going to, if, if we get to that, uh, we'll see that in uh, verses 24 through 26. Well, now, um, so his, he's trying to answer this question, is there anything left over um, in our chapter, chapter 1, 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And, and his question is, um, uh, nothing lasting, nothing satisfying, nothing, nothing lasting. Well, now, after this, his pursuit of this self-indulgence, um, he gives some more reflections on wisdom, kind of like he did at the beginning in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And he says that uh, wisdom has its advantages over folly. Uh, light is like light versus darkness. Sight is better than blindness. So I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through uh, 17. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Meaning, you can't, you're not going to do anything different than what I've done, and I've done it the best that it can be done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. So what is that event that happens to fools and wise people? Death. Yeah, they die. Death becomes, as we've already seen it, for for the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, death is a major theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as we, as I mentioned to you in the, the book by uh, David Gibson, Living Life Backwards, um, he believes that's one of the major lessons of, uh, of Ecclesiastes. Deal with your death and then you can look backwards. Uh, and move toward death because you've handled, you, know, you understand, one, the death is real, and of course, as God's people, we understand uh, his solution for it. Well, um, so yet I, I, at the end of verse 14, yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart uh, that this also is vanity. So he said, why, why spend my whole life uh, seeking to be wise and watching a fool being a fool? And we, the same thing happens to both of us. You know, we both die. So de death is his problem. I mean, it is his big problem. And even, he's talking about wisdom now, even and wisdom can't solve the problem. And none of his resources can solve this problem of, of death. Um, so, um, verse uh, 16. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I think it's, it, he's trying to give us a perspective on wisdom, but even as great as wisdom is, uh, wisdom uh, is, can be like that mist, it can be like that, uh, uh, that smoke that you try to grab hold of. It, it, cannot, it cannot give lasting uh, enjoyment and peace, and it for sure can't conquer 
uh, this big problem that we all have, and that is the problem of death. Let's see. Um, well, it's, I know it's just a cliche, but um, we are not we are not ready when we're if we're not ready to die, then we're not ready to to live. And um, as you get older, that's not so hard to understand. But for you young people, it's just as true for you as it is uh, for all of us that that recognizing the fact of our death um, gives us a an anchor, a perspective to look back uh, as we live our as we live our lives. He's going to help us understand that. So, verses 17. Um, oh, I had this. I think I gave you this quote from from Gibson. Death reorients us to our limitations as creatures. Death reorients us to our limitation as creatures. Um, and death is beginning to get his his attention, his creatureliness, that um, that he's going to die. And that, and like uh, Doug Wilson has the name of his book, Joy at the End of the Tether. Uh, we're on a tether. We're like a we're like dogs on a leash, and uh, that is a very strong tether. It doesn't break for anybody. And uh, so uh, Wilson's idea and, and others too is Solomon is teaching us to recognize we're tied to a tether. We're tied to a creaturely tether and there's limits to what we can know, what we can do. And as soon as we understand that and live as a creature under the Creator, the sooner we'll see how, how life works. Well, verses 17 through 23, boy, he is really upset. We're reaching the, the end of his, uh, of his first uh, investigation. And just look at the... Well, I'll read the, uh, my note there, the, the, um, uh, the quote from Ian Provine. The reality of death overshadows Kohelet's life to the extent that he now confesses his hatred for life. It is bad enough that there is no real personal gain in life from all the effort that is expended, but it is quite intolerable that to the extent that anything has been gained, it should be lost in the end to another person uh, who may himself be foolish rather than wise. So let me read uh, verses uh, 17 through 23. And just notice the frustration and despair and, and anger. He had everything he wanted, but it wasn't satisfying to him. And so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I, in, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Notice the, well, the despair. He said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, he does do it some more. We're going to see some more of his, of his, of his um, searches. But boy, the despair that this, this eight or 10 years of experience of getting everything he wanted, now the despair is just overwhelming to him. And you know, even though he could write a will and decide who gets his stuff, uh, 
this here's death again. Death is right in the way because when he dies, his will may say who gets his stuff, but he has absolutely no control over the heart of the person that gets his stuff. He can't. He loses control. Death is this terrible thing that happens to him that reminds him of his limitations. Okay. Um, so verse 21, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full, full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. Uh, this also is vanity. Can you just imagine? Here's uh, Solomon. Well, he was renowned around that part of the world, and Queen of Sheba and others. Others came to see him, just amazed at you know the awesomeness of this man. But you wonder uh, after he put on a show and, and he did have some wisdom, if he went to his room and you know dealt with his despair. In fact, he says here, uh, it upset me so much thinking about these things that I that I will die and I can't control what happens to them and some fool is going to get everything that I've worked for so hard he said I can't it, it gave me sleepless nights see the last sentence um, even in the night his heart does not rest I, I read one Hebrew guy let's see what he said uh, oh his heart he may go to bed and his body lie down but, but the the actual Hebrew says, his heart does not lie down. His mind cannot stop. Now, you've had that experience, haven't you? It may, it may be seem almost involuntary that you got some on your mind and you... And sometimes I, when I had that kind of situation and I knew I couldn't deal with it till the next day or I didn't know what to do about it, I thought, well, good, I'll just go to sleep. <laughs> Well, I need to read Ecclesiastes. Uh, so do you see the, just the huge despair that this man is under? And uh, remember, uh, remember the little story about John D. Rockefeller after he died, his accountant was having a disbursement of his assets. And somebody had said, Mr. Accountant, uh, how much did he leave? You know the answer? All of it. All, all of it. He left all of it. Like they say, there's no U-Haul trailers behind a hearse. It, it just, he just don't. It just doesn't go, go with us. And that was hugely frustrating for, uh, uh, for Solomon. But but now, verses 24 to 26. And I'm glad we, we got here to be able to, to work on this for a little bit. Um, now. Uh, uh, I guess we would call it a shaft of light. Maybe, I don't know what you would call it. One writer said, well, it's not that big of a shaft. It's just a, an idea that we need to begin to, uh, to think about. Uh, notice my, my note there. Uh, God is the one who gives things. Uh, this is kind of a summary of, this, of these uh, three verses. God is the one who gives things, and God is the one who gives the power to enjoy things. These are distinct gifts, just as a can of peaches and a can opener are distinct gifts. Only the first is given to the unbeliever, the believer gets, is given both. 
So somebody explain that parable to me. Speeches and a can opener. <coughs> One is something you can have, but you don't have the means to enjoy it without proper focus. Okay. Yeah. You can have a big can of peaches, but you can't get into it. You're not going to enjoy it. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, so that's what this. That's what these verses say. That the real enjoyment from the things that God provides for that, from the good things in the creation. Uh, is a gift from God. The enjoyment itself is a uh, is a gift from God. Um, so I gave you these these two thoughts. Well, the, the commentators say this real clearly. This is the first of several carpe diem passages in Ecclesiastes. So you know, carpe diem seize the day. So how is seize the day a lesson that Solomon wants to? Teach us what does that mean? What is seize the day? What about promise tomorrow? Excuse me? We're not promised tomorrow. Okay, we don't have tomorrow. Good. Yeah. I always thought of it as make the most of your time. Okay, make the most make the most of the time, most of the situation. Like one guy said, where where you are, just be there. You know, there you are. So be uh, be be where you uh, where you are. And then the other one is... Uh, okay, say that again, John. Christ came, when Christ said, He came not to just give us life, but abundant life. Okay. So we should be seeking after that, not just to let things, but to find enjoyment in Him through these yes. gifts. Right, that, well, that's, a, that's, that's the, the story that we're seeing, that we're seeing here. Uh, the other one is Coram Deo, another Latin passage, another Latin phrase, uh, before the face of God, in the presence of God, uh, uh, Solomon's point here is, because uh, maybe a lot of things wouldn't change for him, I hope, I mean, obviously the sexual sin would be, but the buildings and things that wouldn't change for him, if he did them uh, under the face of God, in the presence of God. That's his, uh, that's his point, his point there. Well, what I've, uh, oh, by the way, um, like I said, this is only one of maybe five or six of these, these uh, carpe diem um, lessons that he has. So what happens is he, he goes, maybe this was how his life really happened. He would have this aha moment and understand it and he'd get his theology right and his, his anthropology right and his psychology right. And then he would wander off again. And then he'd come back to another one of these carpe diem um, moments. So we're going to see that. that. Like one writer said, Solomon's uh, experience was not linear. It was more of, a, more of a spiral. It kind of repeats itself, and we learn more as we, uh, as we go along. Okay, so what I've done for you is just... Uh, oh, by the way, just yeah, a couple more things there. Uh, the word God is not mentioned in the preacher's quest from 116 to 223, but uh, four times in just these just these three verses. So you see what he's done. He's he's come back to a biblical understanding of wisdom. That wisdom as a uh, must be associated with uh, the fear of God and being lived under under God's authority. And that's where he is here. 
Um, so I had so many, uh, I, I just am enjoying so much these different commentators that I'm reading that I just gave you a bunch of quotes. Uh, so we'll walk, we'll walk through them a little bit here, but I want you to try to get the flow, the, the sense of what, uh, of what this lesson is. So God, the giver of, the, the God the giver is the center of things displacing uh, the striving self. The striving self was Solomon trying to create his own uh, utopia, trying to create his own, uh, his own uh, Eden. And so instead of receiving these things as a gift of God to be enjoyed, he wants to use them as a means of accomplishing his own, his own uh, purposes. Um, then look at the, the next one here. The hand of God gives enjoyment to those who please him, contrasted with the unhappy business of empty searching and gathering uh, he gives to the sinner. And he actually says that in verse uh, 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So notice what uh, Solomon's saying. God has a hand that gives. And he gives for those that, who fear him, that of his people, his hand gives uh, the ability to enjoy his gifts. But he calls him the sinner here, but to the sinner, uh, to those that don't fear him, he gives them this endless, wearisome task of just gathering a bunch of stuff. So I think what we see here is that um, there's, a, there's a moral dimension to how we seek our pleasure. There's a right and a wrong to it. Um, <clears throat> when we seek our pleasure as an end in itself, it's not only foolish, it's sinfulness because it's, idolat it's idolatrous. And so, um, <clears throat> the endless pursuit of pleasure in things without God, I believe he's saying here is a judgment from God. God is judging that person that says, I'm going to pursue happiness and joy without you, God. And God says, okay. And his judgment um, is the result of that, that he can that that person can spend their, their life seeking happiness and joy. I, I've got a neighbor, um, and I really like the guy, but he and his wife are retiring, and I think they've got some pretty good assets and resources. And um, he's got things that aren't sinful in themselves, but boy, he's got stuff. He's got a Corvette that he's uh, restoring. He's got a new 30 to 40 foot RV. He's got a boat. He's got a big... Uh, uh, truck that he pulls all these things with, and, and uh, sometimes I see, sometimes I see him leaving. Both he and his wife have to drive a pickup truck because one pulls the RV and one pulls the boat, and and uh, of course it just wears me out to see them doing that. But I, I, I guess I like to go see him uh, Sunday night when he comes back, and and uh, his name is Dan too. I said, Dan, I wonder, you know, how was that? You know, did it? Did it uh, do for you for what you uh, thought it would do? I don't know. Well, uh, can I make a comment on that? Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we do all this stuff, we do all this work, and you know, we get six to eight hours of pleasure out of it, right? But then you come back, you got to fix the boat or the truck or the RV, and you need to find the pleasure and the enjoyment in the mundanity of that also. And you have to understand that that's to the glory of God because we're working. We're, we're, you know, it's 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 all part of it. it you know, we, we work towards that the vacation, like you said earlier. But we work towards it. We have it, and then we got to come back and work for the next one. And, and and you know, the enjoyment's not just in the pleasure itself. It's in the striving towards it too, in the in the day to days. That's how I look at working on my truck that I have, or you know, my old trucks that I have. Um, I don't go look at it and say, I'm just going to go out and enjoy it and break it, and then I'm just going to sit there and stare at it. You know, I have to, I have to work to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And work is what God has put us in. You know, He's made us to work for our hands, with our hands. I, that's, that's, that's my take on that. Because, I mean, honestly, to me, that sounds like a great life, to be honest with you. Maybe not on Sundays, of course, but um, but to have an RV, pull a boat around, go around all these lakes. And, but, you know, you, you start watching some of these videos of people that do that on a regular basis, and there's so much work that goes into it. And, you know, most people don't want to do the work. They just want to have the enjoyment. So, yeah. I, I think I, doing it to the glory of God means doing the work. To enjoy what you have on the days that you have to enjoy them, and then you do the work again to do it again. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's a cycle in my opinion. Yeah, but also I think this this approach that I'm living for my own pleasure, yeah. boy, it is so self-focused and self-centered rather than you know where the real liberty and freedom comes is uh, serving and helping others. Yep. Okay, let's read a few more of these. Um, Here's another quote from Gibson. Worldly wisdom says, eat, drink, and be merry, for that's all there is. Biblical wisdom says, eat, drink, and be merry, because that's what there is. Well, you think about that for just a minute. God has given us the good things of the world, and they are their own reward. Eat, drink, and be merry, because that's what there is. That's what, that's what God has given to us. And his point is, moment by moment uh, receive these things as good gifts from God and enjoy them because he gave us he gave us those things um, life is meant to be enjoyed under God and received as gifts from God not mastered or, or used as leverage for our own goals this is another Gibson quote um, in our and I have a little bit longer quote that I wrote down in our fallen state we have flawed assumptions about what it means to live in the world. Uh, we think we should use things and people for our own purposes and to gain our own goals, rather than receiving them as gifts from God and as stewards to serve Him and others through the things that He's given to us. And then I just love this. Uh, verses 24 to 26 articulate a glorious vision of our creaturely embodied humanity. A glorious vision of our creatured, creaturely embodied humanity, uh, and he gives these three, these uh, two, two groups of three: eating, drinking, and working, and wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So notice, notice the connection here um, in verse uh, in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and 
find enjoyment in this toil, that's eating, drinking, and working. This also is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or drink or have an enjoyment? Um, and so his, notice it is, it is through our enjoying the eating, drinking, and working through these three things that God provides the gift of enjoyment. So three simple things, eating, drinking, and working, are all to, see, all to be considered gifts from God. We receive them as his gifts. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that somebody pointed out this wisdom, knowledge, and joy. These were the things that Solomon was pursuing on his own. And he got so frustrated because he didn't get any of them. He was, he was disappointed in, in everything because uh, it didn't accomplish what he thought it should accomplish. So the, the very things that, Saul, that, that Solomon was pursuing in his own strength and wisdom, now he's learned to receive his gracious gifts from God. From God the giver, now he receives those things as gifts um, from God. Um, the pleasure of eating and drinking is a gift from God. In this pleasure, we are profoundly connected to the Creator, to the creation and the Creator through an awareness of our dependence uh, and gratitude. Uh, this fellow, uh, Barry, I don't know who Wendell Barry is. Uh, uh, somebody else is quoting him, and, and, and he says, that it's time to stop, that's what he says. But, uh, but we've, we've come to the end. But notice what he says here, that uh, nowadays our approach to food is miles away from this perspective, receiving it as a gift from God. We live in an age of fast food and mass production for the market. But like industrial sex, industrial eating has become a degraded, poor, and paltry thing. Consumerism has enveloped the food chain, and our kitchens have become more like more like filling stations, rather than sitting and enjoying uh, a meal together. And then he makes the same point about work. That, that uh, in fact, he makes this interesting observation. One might think, with all our pleasure industries, that our age is, that our age, that ours is an age of pleasure par excellence, just as was Kohelet's experiment with his pleasure. However, the very existence of pleasure industries can only mean that our work is not pleasant to us. So we, you know, people say, well, how you, you know, what day is it? Well, I'm leaving for Friday so I can get to the weekend and get over all this work so I can rest. <clears throat> the biblical position is that, no, God gives us work. God gives us work as a blessing, and we should receive it as a gift from Him and find joy in it and not have to wait for the weekend or the, or the holiday to come. Not that it's wrong to rest and to you know, take care of ourselves. Well, um, the pleasure and acts of eating, drinking, and working provide a breadcrumb trail back to our Creator. And, uh, or do that with your kids. When you have a meal, talk about you know, what has God provided here. Let's, en let's enjoy this meal just because God has provided it, just because we have this time. Uh, together we do that with our children and our, and our grandchildren. And then there is no surplus, there is no surplus to joy beyond joy itself. There is indeed no pathway to joy except by refusing to pursue it and to grasp at it. Um, we can't store up joy to use later on. We, we must enjoy the gifts that God gives us uh, today. 
and he'll give us more gifts uh, tomorrow. Well, we're going to get into the song to every day. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season. We'll do that uh, next week. Thank you.